Hey guys, this is Friends Next Door, a podcast created by three very excellent friends who love to chat, give advice to each other, and generally just enjoy the company of one another. Here are your hosts, Mia, Dan, and Thomas. You are listening to Friends Next Door. 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 Three, two, one door. door. No, no, no. When I after one, do it. Ready? Door. door. All right, all right, all right. Third episode, still recording under lockdown in New York City, with the additional twist of protests and riots breaking out all over the country. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't want to sound dramatic, but these are life-changing events. How we interact as a society could change considering coronavirus could be a thing forever. So along the same lines, I started to wonder, what were some things that changed my life? For the better, what are some books I've read, songs I've listened to, or movies I've seen that deeply impacted me? I was going to say getting married or have a kid, but I think you went to another, to a different direction. <laughs> that that <laughs> deeply impact on another level. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I, I'm excited to hear what, uh, what deeply impacted you guys. Cause I think that's like, you know, what makes us unique, you know, our experiences and what we come, come in contact with, you know, stuff like stuff we read, stuff we watch, you know? All right. I'll start us off. And this one kind of deep, like changed me to become, to be seen as more of an asshole. And hold and on. <laughs> okay. No, okay. I, I want to know where this is going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, all right, all right. So uh, a couple years ago, I picked up this book called Scroogenomics. And so the premise of that is that overall gift giving is, is a waste of money if you don't know what the person likes. So the example he gives is that, uh, well, so from an economics perspective, it's like when you buy um, someone something, let's say I buy, uh, let's say for Dan, right? I buy you something for, that's worth 50, that's, that I spent $50 on. I might not nice, know thanks. what you, you're welcome. I, not, I might not know what you like. Mm -hmm. um, so what I spend $50 on for you may not be worth $50 to you compared to if I give the 50, if I just gave the $50 to you for you to okay. spend on yourself. Okay. So like that difference is the waste, right? And so uh -huh. then the, the example that the guy gave is like, so if you, so think of Christmas time, right? So that's when most people give uh, exchange gifts. And if you scale that out to like the U S economy, he estimated of like, you know, billions of dollars in waste. And it's just like people buying crap gifts for each other. And so this was really interesting to me. was that, well, first of all, the thing I got from this is that, A, I stopped buying gifts for people unless I really knew the person. So that's what I meant by becoming more of an asshole. But B, is just like being like really understanding of just like, don't just do things because it's, you know, the thing to do. Um, but to really think deep was like, you know, why am I getting this gift? Is it just to appear a certain way? And unfortunately, that, that, that does give me like some sort of an, asshole persona kind of deal uh but it has saved me a lot of money i gotta say wait so question uh because you <laughs> because you said why am i gonna buy you something for 50 dollars? why don't i just give you 50 dollars? so the whole time i'm thinking oh you're just giving money away so it actually what happens no. is you don't buy gifts and then you also don't give money and you save money 
Correct. Like Correct. Okay, so first of all, this is such a Thomas thing to do, you know, being overly analytical, you know, over such thing as like gift giving. It's just, it's a nice gesture. If you want to give, a, if you want to give a gift, just do it. Like, why do you have to analyze it and overthink it and be like, no, okay, the I, value of this thing that I give Dan is like fifty dollars, but then necessary. he may not value that at fifty dollars, so it's going to be a waste. I'm like, oh my gosh. No, I, Dan, I actually. What do you think? I actually used to get gifts for people though when I when I travel and all that. Like during high school, basically, I would get. I would get small trinkets and souvenirs for pretty much all my friends whenever I traveled. Mm, mm, and, you know, it was, and it was always done to the best of my ability of like, you know, how much I thought they could, they would appreciate it. And then it was just like years later, on, I was just like, no, it's probably a waste of effort and money. Like, nah, there's no point. But how do you know do they it. didn't appreciate it? Because um, he, he read this book <laughs> and it said that, uh, that the, everyone places different values on gifts. Right. So it's, it's, it's kind of like you're at a juncture there and then you're asking yourself, oh, you know, they might not value this thing that I'm going to give them the same way as I do. So instead of trying to think of like, okay, what can I give them? You decide to not do that. Precisely. Unless I really know, <laughs> unless, unless I know what to give, you know, like, okay. okay. Example, the greatest, probably the, one of the greatest, uh, gifts I've given was the giant Steph Curry foam board <laughs> to Mia. I know she's a yeah I know she's a huge Steph Curry right. fan. And so I got right. that for her. I forget it was either Christmas or a birthday, but so, I think that was I, I think that was like, you know, that the value of I the the value of what you experienced probably exceeded the cost of, of the gift. No, I feel like you overvalued that gift. Oh Oh, the truth comes out. That's whoa, hilarious. whoa! First of all, I've never, I've never wiped, I've never like wiped down my gift. Okay, once when it gets dusty. Okay, um, I'm I have sure to. You... It's just, it's just sitting there now in my room with no purpose whatsoever. But then I still have to clean it every once in a while because. Oh it wow! This is dust. this is so interesting because Thomas. Yeah, wow. So it's like Mia's like, well, here's the other part is. It's a great gift, but now I got to like maintain it. It's like you've given me a gift, but now I got to maintain it. So is it mm -hmm. what kind of gift? Oh, man. He okay. was just doing maybe, for shits and giggles. May, maybe I should reevaluate that gift. Then. It's like <laughs> maybe it's Thomas. no longer. Yeah. I got a question. Uh, looking back, what gifts do you wish you can ungive? Great That's question. question. <laughs> That's a great question. Yeah. Uh, like, and I want to know the, because it's like probably uh, maybe they were expensive or you went great lengths to get them. And then you were like, oh, the person probably didn't, you know, value that gift. Like, is there mm -hmm. one? If, you know, oh, or okay. think about I it. Have, yeah. I have two examples. All right. I have wow. two examples. One is uh, when I was in Hawaii, they had these little keychains of, of like, uh, they're they're called voodoo dolls. I mean, they you know, kind of shaped like they were made with uh, with string into a person, right? And then they got decorated into like different characters. So one would, one would be like Monkey King or like uh, other other you know pop culture figures. And then so I got one for almost all of my high school friends of like, because we 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 had a thing where we would you know match characters for our personalities, and I I did that, 
And like that to me was like a huge waste of time and effort. But why do you see, this is interesting because if you wanted to do that for them, how do you know, like the act's been done, right? Yeah. But how do you know that they didn't treasure it and then therefore determine that that wasn't worth your time? There we go. Yeah. I feel like it was just like, oh, they got a thing and that was it versus like me actually spending the time like, oh, this is, does this, you know, character match the, my friend. But you said it's, it's, you got them voodoo dolls. It was, <laughs> I mean, it was a keychain, <laughs> it was a keychain souvenir know? thing. <laughs> <laughs> like, how right. do you know they're not just sitting in their house and be like, eh, you know, putting some spells on other people. So it's like, <laughs> uh, so the second thing that I probably regret getting was that back when this was many years ago when I was dating my ex, uh-huh. um, I got her these flats called teaks and they're foldable flats that you can put in your purse. Uh-huh. And, and this is just me. I was just like trying to pre-optimize on what I think would be a useful <laughs> gift. And it was, it was, it was like, it was actually, it, cause they were a new thing at the time. And it was like $150 or something for something like that. There wasn't, it wasn't necessarily like amazingly comfortable. It was just convenient and you could like, cause you could store it away. And I like, that was just like, uh, one of the things that I misunderstood was that like my ex wasn't into wearing flats and she mm. didn't have that kind of need. So mm. it was just like complete mismatch of like back in the day, it was just like, it, it's like an easy mentality to go into of like the more money you spend is like the more appreciation or whatever you show to some other person. Right. But I, I think though, there could be a thing where even though, okay, let's say they don't wear flats they could still appreciate your gesture, right? And and I think that's where maybe you're like, you're placing a mon- you're you're placing some sort of, I, I don't know how to explain it, but like you're like, oh, it wasn't worth it because I don't think that they got that much usage. But I think what a, the the epitome of a gift is not the value, but it's actually just your heart and the fact that you even bothered to think about that person. So I think that, I mean, at least for me, when somebody gives me a gift, I, even if I don't use it, I'm like, oh, they really thought about me. Like, dang, that's, that's pretty awesome. Um, and then um, for, if, if it costs them a thousand bucks, sorry, man, you didn't have to do that. Uh, but if it costs them five bucks, then I guess, you know, that would f- maybe fall into your, the, what your book was saying, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. But I mean, I would- now, now for gifts that I give are more time or experience related. Um, versus something more material. Yeah. So, okay. So you're right. Because you're like, so if I, if I'm going to give you a gift, it's going to be something that, well, see the, here's the thing, right? Because to you time is valuable and you're like, because I value your friendship or your relationship, I will give you some of my time. But then what is your definition of giving a gift? Because you, mm, I guess it's like if you buy somebody something and you're like, oh, I guess I uh, maybe it wasn't worth spending the X on on them because they didn't appreciate it or whatever. Do you think that you're giving gifts based on condition and not unconditional? Just like here's a gift, take it, leave it, throw it away. I just want to express that I thought about you. 
Oh, mm. that's a good point. You don't have to answer, but I'm just saying like, and I'm not saying I'm like the perfect, like I'm o- only get people gifts and I don't care what I get back. Oh, of course, we're human. Of course. Like if I get, if I get ye a gift, yeah, I'm going to want some kind of reciprocation. Okay. You know, I want her to be, you know, I, I want her to be like, thanks, Dan, like really thoughtful of you, you know, like, yeah. 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 No, I, I think, I think the fundamental part is, it's, is just like, I don't always consider, I do consider what the gift is or sorry, like the, like the, the utility value of the gift. So for example, and, and not just the gesture of it. Right. So great, ex- greatest example would be flowers. Like I've mm. always thought like flowers are a great gesture gift. Right. Mm. Mm. But they like, but, but I, I, I fundamentally don't understand the purpose of them. Like, this is a conversation right, flowers, for another flowers time. Flowers just die. Yeah. Anyway, well, I think this is a conversation is, for another time. No, no, this specifically the flowers, because I could tell you that there is nothing in this world that cheers a girl up quicker. And a girl or a guy, I love flowers, by the way. I love flowers. <laughs> but um, hey, if I wanted, they do die. But that moment when I give ye flowers to cheer her up, sorry if you can hear that siren. We are in Brooklyn, New York. Um, man, that's like, and that's kind of like what you're saying, Tom. Is like flowers will last a week. They're not cheap, but the the um, the amount of joy that it brings that my my significant other is like through the roof. So actually, now I just get flowers. I don't even get anything else. I'm like, I'm not getting you a ring. I'm not getting you this. Here's just some flowers. She's, and it's like the easy cure. But anyways, that's a whole nother That's really cute. That's yeah, really cute. That is, flowers that is very me, cute. I don't really care about flowers, but like you said, Dan, it's a whole nother conversation. Whole we nother can conversation. go on and on about this forever, but do you want to? All right. I, I have a couple. Let's see. I'll do my first one. It's a, it's kind of out of left field. I don't know if you guys, um, uh, what you'll think. So it's, it, it's a documentary about tea. The beverage. Right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's called The Meaning of Tea. Okay. So back in 2007, uh, I was hired. So before 2007, I was in college and I was a sports photographer. But at the same time, so college, obviously, you pay money, you don't make money. And my, my university in Boston was extremely expensive. So um, and my financial aid was only a little bit. So I had to work uh, a restaurant job and the restaurants in Boston are very lucrative because there's like baseball games and whatever. So I had become a, an almost like a, I had worked my way up the restaurant ladder to become like, I could be a manager basically. So I worked to the top, right? So when I got to New York, uh, you know, I did some freelance photography work, but, but my first job offer was to be essentially like the manager or GM. I got elevated to GM of a uh, of a restaurant that had uh, three components: tea, food, and uh, retail. So I had I had experience in food, running a restaurant, training people, developing menus. A lot of my friends were chefs. I have zero. I've never drank tea in my life. And when I say I, that's hard to believe, uh, we're, we're I'm Chinese. We're Chinese. I never drank tea in my life. But I was like. Yeah, I mean, I, it's it's tea, you know, like whatever, like I'll figure out how to serve it and teach it. You know, I'm, I'm more focused on the food. And then and then they so as my training before we opened, 
they sent me to a tea conference. Yes, that's a real thing. There's an international <laughs> tea conference every year. It's called the World Tea Expo. I'm not making this up. They, it's in Las Vegas that year. So they sent, they bought me a ticket. They sent me, they bought like, I don't know, tickets were expensive. It was like a three-day intensive tea expo of like drinking tea. So at one point they screened this documentary and I didn't even, I didn't even like drink any tea at the time. I'm just like, all right, I'm going to watch. I'm going to try to absorb everything. I'm really good at learning. So they screened this documentary and I, I, I thought I was like on a spirit. I was like, elevated to another spiritual level i'm not even kidding like it was so um like this it was a great documentary but basically what it showed is that uh tea from you know tea was there's five tea major tea producing regions of the world india china japan uh sri lanka uh and taiwan they count china and taiwan as two different areas because they export very different teas right Mm -hmm. so um basically the world's teas come from those those areas um so it basically went to each uh, all of these places and showed what tea the same beverage the same leaf because it all came from the same leaf and they would they planted it in different places to grow right so the tea in india used to the cuttings came from china right so the tea same thing in sri lanka and whatever in japan so the same beverage had had different meanings to those people so i was just like whoa this is like whoa this is i don't know man it just like really moved me and then of course like then i was like all right i I don't like tea it's bitter so then after i watched it i went to like a like a like a kiosk like somebody was serving japanese tea and you know i have this i was really touched by this uh documentary and then i i had then i had like a sip of japanese tea and i think i went up another level spiritually because i was like oh my oh my god this is what they were talking about i don't know what it was it was like maybe it was like placebo but at that moment like i became essentially a tea fanatic so i i undergone like a certification so i became like a tea master my my teeth became like yellow because i tasted so many teas over the next wow i wrote all that i knew every single tea of the world i i I had started training corporations like Bank of America came eventually and was like, Hey, can you guys train us in your tea knowledge? So I became like the master of tea and we get, we gave like thousands of tea tastings to people in New York. The restaurant was successful. So it was like, yeah, it was the first time like a documentary about tea, about, about a food basically had really just like opened my eyes to, to the, to a different part of the world. Cause up until then I didn't travel. I just lived in America. So it was really, yeah. Anyways, so I, I can specifically remember that that was like eye opening for me and what this beverage meant to, and what sort of like, and then, you know, of course I learned like Chinese, like tea is like very sacred, you know, starting out back in Asia, like the legend was that, uh, that God, that there was an herbalist God, Nongshen, that I, Thomas, maybe you could translate what he was the God of, but he basically, the legend is like, he discovered tea when he fell ill one day and he brewed some tea leaves and then it cured him tea has medicinal effects so all these like really cool things i was learning about tea was just like blowing my mind i never knew this side about you because i feel like for as long as we've known dan you always drink tea it's coffee i mean you you drink tea too oh i drink tea yeah no so i okay ever since you know me i drink a lot of coffee because for three years i drank i eat i drank ate mm -hmm. breathe tea 
and and then after three years, I was just like, listen, I'm a little burnt out on tea. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah. So I drink tea now, but it's you know it wasn't as intense before. But the but the sort of that knowledge of of the cultures around the world that drink tea always stuck with me. So I wonder what that documentary was like because I remember taking this one tea class at a uh, like the Japan Society Center or something here in in Manhattan, and I took one, and I'm like, oh, this is kind of fascinating. But I was yeah. like, it didn't elevate me to a whole Ooh. nother like. I didn't have that spiritual experience that you did. <laughs> yeah, I think I think we all need to see that. We all need to see that documentary. And the beauty is, you guys could it. watch it, and you might just be bored by it. To be honest, like it's just all about tea. But I think I, it's I, the fact yeah. that you were at a tea expo, surrounded <laughs> by other people who are tea enthusiasts, you know, and you're in that atmosphere. It I'm just, not going to deny that. Yeah, that maybe like the moment and the time and, and like, you know, I was young and I wanted to like, you know, learn about this beverage so I could like take it back to New York and like teach it to people. I think there was elements of that as well, you know, just like the, the student, you know, but man, and then, Oh, Oh, can I tell you? So like years go by, right. The guy who made, so, so the tea community is like a really small community. It's like the, like the experts. So Scott, this guy who made it, Scott Chamberlain Hoyt comes into the, to the to my restaurant oh, and like wow. there's been like famous people in the restaurant and like th and of course i reckon he's just some guy right and you wouldn't recognize him he came in and i was like fanboying over and people were like what was that i was like you don't understand this guy um he made this documentary that like kind of changed my life at the moment did you, like, did you talk to him yeah no and, and i was like hey scott great you know i loved your film i loved your book uh, he's like yeah i had to come here because we were kind of like like miniature famous because there weren't any tea houses in New York at the time that served as many teas as we did. So a lot of people who love tea would kind of make the trek out to this place. Um, and so he'd be like, yeah, I heard a lot about your tea house. Congratulations. You know, I want to come try it. And I was like, cool, man. And he probably forgot about me after that. Would you open a tea house in the future? I would. I, it's, it's hard because you, it's really hard to make money <laughs> selling tea. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'll just tell you that, like, cause we had to, like I said, we had to sell food. We had to sell, um, retail items like gift items. Um, and we had to sell tea tastings. So I think I wouldn't open just the tea by itself, mm. but it would be something like all, you know, that had to do with all those components. So that's it for me. There's a tea shop in Flushing that, uh, that sells tea and also does tea tastings, right? There's um, a lot. Yeah. 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 So. Yeah. I've been to that one. I, I do wonder how they stay open. Um, although each one, each, each tasting is not cheap and yeah. it's, it's really something that because tea is a lot more subtle than coffee. Right. And, and the, the culture and art behind like, especially like tea ceremony, right. is a lot, mm. there's a lot of nuance to it. Um, yeah. like, cause it's different for, for like Chinese as well as Japanese and it's there's a lot to explain before you can actually go through it yep you're absolutely right so all right miam you're next <laughs> how do i even follow your story um okay so i have this one book so first of all i don't read books you know normally uh, but then, you know, every once in a while, I would be like, huh, I'm just going to be a sophisticated person and start reading books. Um, and then for whatever reason, I chose this book called Without You, There Is No Us. And I'm like, 
okay, this is kind of interesting. And then the 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 gist of the book is was basically written by um, this Korean American writer who went to North Korea as part of the you know Christian missionary uh, group. Uh, she is actually a writer, but she went to North Korea with a Christian missionary group to to teach them English. And the school that they she she stayed there for six months, and she was teaching English to the sons of like basically North Korea elite group. Um, they're you know sons basically the prestigious class, right? Um, and so she was just kind of curious about their life. Uh, she obviously wanted to write a book about it, but she couldn't let that to be known, um, not even to her uh, fellow Americans. Um, so she had to keep everything on the down low, but she's basically just taking writing diaries of her experience there. Um, and to me, it's pretty interesting. I feel like a lot of people in general are very curious about what life is actually like in North Korea, even though um, because the school is uh, for privileged kids, uh, you don't really see like the normal life of a life uh, of a North Korean. Um, but basically, she was saying that every single day, three times a day, the students would march in two lines singing songs that basically praise the leader of the country. Um, and then to them, like basically, you know, Kim Jong-il or Kim Jong-un are like the, the sun in their life, right? Basically, all their lives revolve around their leader. Um, and to them, it's something normal, but I guess, you know, to, to us people who are not usually exposed to that environment, it's pretty, it's pretty scary to see how like they're so disciplined. They're so just like, they would often travel in pair, like everywhere they go because they have to keep each other in check. You know, there's no deviation allowed, right. In terms of like the way they think and everything. Um, I think at this point I'm like starting to lose you. I'm like, you're probably thinking that you're probably thinking where I'm going with this, but um, <clears throat> but the book itself is pretty interesting because the way she she described her experience, I kind of grew attached to the students that she was teaching, and then she felt the same too. Um, and then towards the end, uh, when she had to leave, it was like pretty sad. But anyway, where I'm going with this is that you know, for people like us who live in a country that's like free. Um, we might think that we, we might have certain perspective of, you know, these people, we, we think that obviously they're being brainwashed or, you know, they, they don't know any better. They think that their country is the best. They always say, they always say that, you know, North Korea has the best, you know, whatever that is, fill in the blanks. Um, <clears throat> but I read this book a few years ago, but then the current situation just kind of re took me back to that time where um, in basically here in the United States with everything that's happening uh, with pandemic, uh, now the situation kind of evolved into something else. Um, but when, I, when we all started uh, hunkering down at home, uh, basically we were told that you know, it's dangerous to go out there and, you know, it's not safe for you to be out there. There's all these virus going on and um, or uh, in New York City, taking public transportation became such a scary experience. And it's just because, you know, when you have been fed the same type of information over and over and over again, it kind of 
change the way you think about something, right? So I guess what I'm trying to say is that at that point, um, and the reason I'm drawing the parallel between my situation and how it remind me, uh, reminds me of the book that I read was because at that time I realized that my emotions and my feelings are the major drivers of my actions or in inaction. Um, and that's when I decided to kind of just take a step back and then get, you know, out of my own head and, and kind of assess the situation and determine what I can or cannot do. Um, mm -hmm. So at that point, I was just like, okay, in this case, obviously these kids, these kids don't have anything to kind of compare to because they don't know what the outside world is like. Whereas for me, as soon as I step out of my apartment, things are kind of different already than what I, how I imagined in my head. And so I'm just like, I need to kind of reconcile the two a little bit better. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's it's so important to have like to have like something to interrupt your 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 like negative spiraling or or just like your your thought process in general. So you're not mm -hmm. just yeah, right. uh, so you're not just trapped in like a circle jerk. If I can use that word, what does that even mean? I don't want to. No, explain no, it. no, don't explain it. <laughs> so you're not you're not trapped in like a perpetual like ish. You know, a perpetual self perpetuating situation where it's just like you know, you're doing, you're repeating the same thing. Is that kind of what you mean? Yeah. 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 Right <laughs> on. Thomas. Right on. Yes. Thank you for the PG explanation. <laughs> <laughs> Not a problem. Not a problem. So it's just like an interesting thing to me because I, I do feel like with the, with all the craziness that's happening out there right now, it, I get it. Like a lot of people just get so overwhelmed by what they read. So I feel like, yeah. Sometimes it's just important to take a step back and just kind of like, okay, you know. Yeah. And like, how do here, I move we, forward? We could also not read it. We could read less, or we could just read something else entirely, or we could listen to a <laughs> podcast, or read a book that tells you not to, how to not give gifts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's see. Well, we, we only have a little bit of time left. All right. So, the, my other one was back when TED Talks were all the rage. Uh, I watched this TED talk by this uh, psycho American psychologist called Barry Schwartz, and very short. Very <laughs> short. Barry Schwartz. Barry uh -huh. Schwartz. Okay. Yeah, and 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 he also and then after that, I also got his book. But basically, the the theme of his talk was that the like the conventional wisdom tells us that more choice is always better, right? But apparently, it's not always that case because there's things called decision paralysis and uh and and like and not always being satisfied with your choice as well um so it, like it's just like a kind of a human mentality right so for example um there's two ends on uh, two ends on a spectrum like at one end you have something called a, sa a satisficer which is like a person who is basically satisfied with everything and then on the other extreme end you have something called a maximizer a person who always try to tries to maximize his choices or opportunities. So this person is always looking for the next best thing. And so what this says is that like the maximizer is, is pretty much never going to be happy because regardless of what choice this person makes, there's always going to be something better. And at, at a certain point, you, you will acclimate to the new state. That's just like a human condition, unfortunately. And Versus, I mean, but y'all at the other end, you don't, you don't want to be a satisficer where you're just content with everything and never improving. 
And then so for me, it was just like from this, it was like understanding, you know, a deeper understanding of how uh, psychology works on a kind of like a surface level, right? I mean, it wasn't like I, I actually did the research or anything, but it, it, it kind of gave me a deeper understanding of, of how my thought process might work as well. And it's just like, you know, don't always think the green is the grass is greener on the other side. It's like lay out the conditions of what you actually want and then stick with it. Because even if you get something that you want, you might not be as happy as you imagine you could be anyway, because you're just going to acclimate to the, to the new state eventually. So do you think you were more towards the uh, maximizer or the satisfier? Yeah, I, I definitely think I was more of a maximizer, mm. especially during college, right? You always think of like, oh man, you always want to just try to strive forward and everything, right? That makes sense because your first the first book you talked about was maximizing your gifts. <laughs> maximizing your of course finances. maximize maximize everything, right? Yeah. No. Um <laughs> so but, do you do that less now? Yeah, I think after I read that book, I went to the other extreme of being content with too many things. Okay. Uh, yeah, and then and then and then I'm probably somewhere in the I'm probably somewhere in the middle now. The one other thing I got from the talk was the key to happiness is low expectations. Wait, I can I swear that you've been saying this forever. That's where he got it from. Okay. I have been. I have that, been. That's where he got it from. Wait, so Thomas, are you living by that motto now? Uh, not as much anymore. So, do you feel, wait? So, do you feel like you you've you your expectations has been rising, or you've you continue to lower them so that you remain happy? No, I think they're still. I think they rise a little, but probably not as much as they could have. Like for like, I still have, for example, I still have IKEA furniture. Um, like I I could have upgraded from that, but I felt that the amount, like the difference of joy versus the difference of money is not proportional. So I just went with whatever was a little cheaper. So you're a selective maximizer slash satisfier. Yeah, carefully, but I'm careful. Yeah, I mean, the lesson is like, you gotta, you gotta, find, you gotta find yourself somewhere in between there. I don't nice. know why you're using Ikea as an example, because in their defense, they do have different lines that are just like, you know, some are cheaper than others. Um, and then also for the record, Thomas is a closet Valley girl. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, sometimes he can be demanding in some other cases, maybe, I'm, you know, I'm very particular anyway. <laughs> well, that's all the time we have for today. Thanks for listening guys. Bye. See ya.